Welcome to the Oakland Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Associate Pastor Jeremy Barkley. It's our prayer that this message encourages you and strengthens you. For more information and for other resources, visit us at oaklandonline.org. We're going to continue our uh, atonement series. Today we're going to look at Christ as substitute and uh, we're going to have our Bibles open to Genesis chapter 22. Um, and we're going to jump a little bit all over the place. So you're going to definitely need your notes. And my challenge to each and every one of you this week, if you're not in a home group, uh, make sure that you're taking your sermon notes, going home and kind of going through them, reading the passages, asking the Lord to uh, be your teacher. Holy Spirit is absolutely there when you're opening the word of God, because we want to be people of prayer, but also people of the word. Amen. So... Um, Somebody better say amen to that. All right, good, good. Everyone's awake, right? All right. All right, hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 22. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac and his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place where God had told him to go. And then the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And when we come back to you, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he laid it uh, on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife. Mm. And the two of them went together. You ever been reading a scripture, Pastor Randy, and the Lord gives you a word right in the middle of it? Hmm. But Isaac spoke, uh, spoke to Abraham and said, My father, he said, and he said to him, Here I am, son. And then he said, Look, the, fi- look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And then they came to the place where God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bowed Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his own son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on your son. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear the Lord, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and, be- and behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name, the name of the place the Lord will provide. And as it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I want you to look at your neighbor and just say the Lord will provide. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are the God of the provision. And Lord, there are seasons in our lives where you put a veil in front of us so that we can trust you and your voice on the other side. And so, Lord, in this time of foolish preaching and unpacking your holy scriptures, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray, Lord, that you would also anoint your service, your servant. I pray also, Lord, that you would give clarity, conviction, till the soil for good seed. 
Jesus, we have come to honor you and to worship you. And so, Lord, you are indeed number one on a list of one. Have your way in and among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 So many things about that scripture passage that grabbed my heart. There's so much imagery, so much prophetic imagery that we wouldn't have enough time this morning to look at it. But one scripture verse that really grabbed my heart and I really want to just speak it over you and your family this morning, maybe your marriage, maybe your children. But is verse five of chapter 22. It says, and Abraham said to the young men, those are these young spiritual sons that are with him that are helping him carry the load. It says, he said to the young men, Stay here with a donkey because the lad and I are going to go yonder and do what? Worship. I wonder how many of us this morning need to have a vision of the season ahead of us that really what God wants to call it isn't necessarily only sacrifice or obedience, but maybe the Lord wants to call it worship. Maybe that's what our obedience really is, right? Maybe it's spirit and truth and worship as unto the Lord. And then Abraham makes a declaration and he says, we will be back. Can I just speak over your life this morning, over your marriage this morning, over your children, over your work situation this morning, that the mountain that you're beginning to climb, call it worship, and you will make it down the other side, amen? Amen. Abraham didn't know, but he trusted, and it was accounted to him as faith. And many believe that as we read this scripture passage that, yes, he took a knife, which, which symbolizes the circumcision of the heart. He took the fire, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. He took the wood, which symbolizes the cross, and he took his son, which symbolized the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus that would come thousands and thousands of years later. But many believe that he would have followed through because he would have trusted God to not only bring a lamb, but if he didn't bring a lamb, he would have resurrected his son. Amen? There are some situations that we are in this morning that look impossible to the human eye, but through the lens of faith, nothing is impossible. Amen? And so we need to get a hold of this idea and this truth, the truth of the atonement. Pastor Randy talked last week about defining what atonement looks like, and atonement actually means at one meant meaning at one or in harmony with someone. I just want to anchor down today and say that because of the atonement made by the blood of Jesus, our Messiah, we are now at one or in harmony with our Father who is in heaven. Amen? Somebody better say amen. That is good news because here's the deal. You couldn't do it on your own. I need to be made at one. I need to come into agreement with, but there was a price that I couldn't pay. There was a, 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 an assignment that I couldn't fulfill and Jesus was given to fulfill that assignment. And we believe as Methodists that as soon as we come into agreement with that blood, with that assignment, with who Jesus is and the fact that he is who he says he is, that there is a collision of heaven and earth and it's called justification. And here's the truth of the matter this morning, that if you are justified, in Jesus, he sees you as just, just as if you have never sinned. Amen? Amen? The truth of the matter is, is that God is seated on his throne, unshaken. And next to him, at the right hand, is a, is a son named Jesus. And next to him is us, the church, the children, the, the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And so it tells us in his word that we are raised with him in the heavenly places. And I love that, that imagery of the fact that God cannot see us unless he sees us through the lens of Jesus. Amen? So what's on Jesus falls on us. And then we cannot see God unless we see him through the lens of Jesus. And I needed that growing up. I came up in a holiness denomination, and I had this theology that was a little bound and a little crooked, and I believed that God was an angry God, and he was sitting on a throne and ready to judge me and ready to discipline me. But the truth of the matter is, is that he was not will ready to release his gavel. He was willing to release his hand. Amen. Because he's passionate, and he's caring, and he's trusting, and he's loving. That's who he is. We need the atonement. And so as we talk about these theories, no one of these theories are complete within themselves. They reflect a spectrum like a kaleidoscope of the glory of the cross. Each reflect and interact and engage at some juncture with the other. The best way to say this as we talk about these theories is I like to say two words. Yeah, but. Yeah, that's a good theory and some of it's true, but. Yeah, you might be right there, but what about this? Or think about this, okay? And here's the thing, church. We... We will perish for a lack of knowledge, won't we? So at some point, we, yes, we need to receive grace, but we have to be willing to take our shovel and dig deep. And we need to get into these things. Today we're talking about substitution theory, and a lot of times substitution theory and ransom theory along with punishment theory overlap in many of their applications. Substitution theory settles on the premise that, hear this, Jesus took our place for us. Jesus took our place for us within this great exchange of the cross. Another name for the substitution theory is the vicarious atonement. And this is very prominent within Western Protestant Christian theology. But here's the bottom line, church. There's a few bottom lines here I want to give you. We don't place our trust in theories, do we? We seek and we remain in the truth and the truth of his word. And the truth is this morning over your life is that it is finished. The cross, the blood, the victory over death, sin, hell, and the grave, our faith, intimacy with God, covenant, and all eternity. They are all layered mysteries pointing towards an all-powerful and all-loving God. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And I, for one, am thankful. Can I tell you that when you receive that revelation, not just hear that revelation, but when it connects between your head and your heart, and for some of you, the, the dimensions are a little different, right? But when you receive it, you come into agreement with it, and you align yourself under that revelation that he completed what you could not you're going to receive a greater measure of his presence, of his peace, all his peace. Have you ever experienced his peace? You'll never want to lose it. His peace is priceless because so is his presence. There is no performance in his presence. And there's certainly no pressure. Amen? Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. I have three points, and these are three huge stories that you're going to need to unpack on your own, and we're just going to touch lightly on today. Number one is this. Jesus is the second Adam. 
Jesus is the second Adam. We cannot address the atonement without revisiting the fall. We must revisit the fall. So I just want to clarify some things because some of you right now are thinking, what? I thought Jesus wasn't second to anything. He's not. Jesus is second to no one. Jesus is before all things. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the one who was and is and is to come. Amen? And some of us have a little bit more agreement with different versions of that statement. Some of us have a hard time receiving the Jesus who was because we we still haven't reconciled our past or those things that have happened to us back here. Some of us are still working through Jesus who is and what he's doing in our life right now. We're trying to find understanding and we're trying to posture ourselves under his hand and and just believe and, and, and trust that he's good. And some of us have a really hard time with uncertainty and the future and he's the one who is the come, but I can tell you that he is all three in one. Amen? He is the definition of holiness, perfection. He's the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the greater Adam. He is the righteous one. And in the redemption story narrative, he is the substitution for our consequence. And so why do we need a substitution? Because we cannot fulfill the consequences of our own disobedience. The truth of the matter is the first Adam, the Adam of creation, he messed it up, didn't he? But here's the other truth. If he didn't, you and I would have. So we need to rest in that truth and thank God for his grace and apply the blood of Jesus to our lives. Within the scriptures, if we research the the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospels and we look at the book of Luke, we'll see Joseph's genealogy. And in verse 38, we'll see that Joseph was the son of Enosh. He was the son of Seth. He was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. And if you're not careful, you'll confuse that. And you'll think that they're one and the same. But Adam was a son of God, just as you and I are both sons of God. Amen? We are the son of God. You are a daughter of God. But he was not God. Adam was an image bearer. He was a dominion holder, and he was a kingdom multiplier. And so in a lot of ways, you and I are a lot like Adam. We were not created in Eden, but we were created for the new Eden, amen? The new heaven and the new earth that the Lord is going to bring when heaven and earth collide in the resurrection, all right? And so we need to understand that who Adam was, and Adam walked with with the Lord in the cool of the day. We know that Adam had his prophetic mandate that as as an image bearer of God, but also a dominion holder and a multiplier of the kingdom, that he was able to speak to creation and name the animals. And what he said they were, the authority that he was given from the Lord— was implemented on the earth. And we have that same authority here today. That's why our tongues matter. That's why what's in our hearts matter because from the heart, the tongue flows, amen? And so we need to recognize who Adam is and who he isn't. It says in Genesis chapter three, verses six through seven, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She didn't need the fruit for wisdom. All she had to do is ask the Lord and he gives with what? Without judgment, amen? She took of it and she ate it and she also gave some to her husband that right here it says, he was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked 
and they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. If we're going to talk about theories this morning, there's one theory that you may not have heard that I want to unpack a little bit, but I don't want you to settle into it a little bit because here's the problem. When we start getting into theories, we start adding to scripture and we know that the scripture is complete and perfect and, and there's no word, no syllable that's going to be taken away or needs to be added to. But we also have a spirit of revelation, rhema, where the Lord is still speaking. And so there are things that we can wrestle with, okay? And there's this theory of Adam that after Eve fell, okay, after Eve fell to the temptation of Satan, the accuser of the brethren, Adam then chose willingly to partake of the same apple and choice as his wife in a way to sacrifice himself as well. And many theologians believe that this was perceiving God's mercy and ultimately instituting the grace card for all of creation to come. Now, we do know this. We know that Adam walked with the Lord. We know that he had all of that authority. We know that he had relationship. In fact, some may say that he had greater relationship in creation than we have now. I don't know. I would argue that because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on each and every one of us. Amen? And so my Bible says I have the mind of Christ. Okay? But in this theory, what it does is it creates Adam as a martyr. It also institutes this idea that Adam loved his wife so much that he knew that because of her sin, death was the consequence. And if death was a consequence for her, then death was a consequence for him. Okay? Which sounds good in theory. All right? But here's the thing. We don't trust in, we don't put our trust and our hope in theories. I would have much rather him prevented the original decision to begin with, right? Somebody better say amen. Because my Bible says that he was there and he was with her. And I also know this, there's a triple braided cord of the mandate of a husband to protect and provide and promote his wife emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So here's the problem, Adam. If you were there, you should have kicked that devil in the teeth and took your wife away, amen? And that's what we're to do. We are co-heirs, equal shares. We are one flesh, one heart, one spirit. And and in the areas where Adam did not protect his bride, Jesus does with the bride of the church. We are his bride. And he is a good husband. Husbands, love your wives as who? Christ loved the church. Jesus completed the assignment of the first Adam. He is the perfect prototype of the Son of God, fully God, sent by God, putting on flesh for our redemption. Blameless, sinless, strong, compassionate, and so, so, so much more. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, this is such a good... You have to read Hebrews. Hebrews is this rich. It's just rich. It'll make your, your, your brain just turn into jello or something but it's really really good hebrews chapter 2 says since the children uh since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil and he uh, so, and free those all all their lives that were held in slavery by the fear of death for surely it is not the angels that he helps but abraham's descendants that's us for this reason He had to be made, what, like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement, there's that word again, atonement, for the sins of the people. Amen. 
Amen and amen and amen. He had to do it. Jesus came down from heaven, put on flesh, became the second Adam, reversed the curse of the first so that we could have fellowship with the Father in heaven. There's a song from Radiant City Music. That's where Zach goes to school in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And there's a song called Praise Forever. And this is the third verse. And I just want you to hear this. The only perfect man who ever lived because only perfect blood could cover sin. Only God could raise the dead, but only man could pay the debt. Jesus, you're the only rightful king. Jesus, you're the only song to sing. Amen. As unto the Lord. He is good. Amen. Jesus is also, number two, Jesus is the second Isaac. Jesus is the second Isaac. He is the promised and chosen son from the throne room of heaven. And he is absolutely, undeniably, the spotless lamb of God. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as sheep before his shears, he is silent. And so he opened not his mouth. There are two things on that text that we talked about in Genesis chapter 22. In fact, there's a lot there. But I want you to get the imagery. In the first, in the first point, we have Adam at a tree, right? Eating the fruit of the tree, which instituted a fall. Now, here we have, we have Abraham, the father of our faith, putting a tree on his chosen son Isaac to climb up a mountain, which would be Mount Moriah, which is the, the, uh, the place of the atonement in Jerusalem now. And so what we have here is a lot of imagery, a lot of prophetic uh, imagery, where literally it's like heaven is like throwing this script out in front of Satan and say, stop it if you can. And so the first area we have is Abraham putting the wood on Isaac, being bound to it. And then secondly, we have Abraham putting Isaac on the wood, bounding him as well. Did not Jesus have the cross placed on his shoulders? Did not Jesus carry his cross? Was not the tree placed on his shoulders for you and me? And was not Jesus bound to the tree, laid to a, on, a, on a cross, and hung on Calvary for you and for me? The same way? And here's the beauty of it. Not only the imagery, not only the prophetic signpost of Jesus coming as the perfect lamb for you and me, but also look at the trust of Isaac. Tara and I were talking about this between service. Look at the trust of Isaac that allowed his father to do it. What does that tell you about their fellowship with one another? What does that tell you about the insight and the revelation he had about his father's heart? And here's the other thing too. They went up on the mountain to do what? To worship. How many of us need to take our kids up on a mountain so that they can recognize true worship? Amen? We need to, I was the first generation, Generation X, where we were put in front of the TV. And then so on and so forth. They not, not only were we put in front of the TV, now we're put in front of devices 24-7. We need to start climbing some mountains again. We need to start teaching our kids what authentic worship looks like, right? And here's the thing. If they get in the presence of God, the sacrifice won't matter because the, the presence of God will over, overwhelm the sacrifice that needs to be made. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful truth for each and every one of us. Jesus, like Isaac, had the wood bound to his shoulders, and then he had his body bound to the wood. Jesus is the Isaac as the son of promise, but Jesus is also the perfect sacrificial lamb of God sent in our place. 
And if we think of Abraham, in the fear of God and the obedience of his word, Abraham in faith believed that the Lord would provide a lamb. He believed that he would. Do you believe this morning that the Lord's going to provide? Do you believe that he can move the mountain? Do you believe that he can open every door? Do you believe that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in every mine? Do you believe that he called you to ministry? He'll see you through the end of ministry. Do you believe if he puts someone on your heart that that's for a reason, that if you pray and come to agreement with that prayer, that the incense of heaven will come before his throne room and he will act? That's Abraham. Thousands of years later, there's the same need for atonement. The same need for altars, same mountains, same patterns, different vessel, but praise the Lord, the same God. He's the same God now that he was for Abraham. He's the same God now for you and me. And just as there was a lamb entangled in the thorns, already pierced with bloodshed, given in in Isaac's place, so there was a lamb at the cross, entangled in thorns on his head, Blood already piercing through his capillaries at Gethsemane because Jesus is the second Isaac. Number three, Jesus took our place as Barabbas. Jesus took our place as Barabbas. I would really encourage you to to circle and underline that scripture verse in this week, jump into that because as you head into this season of Lent, we need to understand the idea of atonement and we need to see it through the lens of Barabbas. That would be Matthew 27, 15 through 26. I heard a preacher say this one time and I'm gonna quote him and I think this is a very profound theological statement. I want you to hear this. God treated Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. There's a lot to that. And we're going to get to that. But there's the tree again. Do you know that the middle tree was not intended for Jesus in the natural? It was intended for Barabbas. But that's when the supernatural invaded the natural and God's plan came to fruition. And so the tree is back. Crucifixion had only existed for about 500 years in earthly history, and it was abolished by Constantine. And it just so happened that our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah, lived within that time period, was that in this region of the earth, under this ruler of Pontius Pilate at this season. There are no so, so it happens to be, Amen. There's a couple prophetic signposts that kind of give us an idea of this substitution on our behalf because the Lord always forecasts the seasons. How many of you know that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his 33 years on the earth and many of them came in a three-year time period of his ministry? Psalm 22 verse 16 says, My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. Even, gang, even a gang closes in on me and they have pierced my hands and my feet. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I have offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from them for the mockery, from the mockery and spitting. Psalm 69 verse 21 says, they offered me sour wine for my thirst. Is all this familiar? This, is all, this all occurred at the cross. Psalm 22, they divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. So there's this prophetic signpost of what's to come, but where's our place in all of it? Well, we can go down Romans Road. 
our place is, and we're going to look more at this next week, is Romans 2.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Romans, 8, Romans 5, 8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to figure, out, figure it out, church. He died for you anyway. And so if we talk about Barabbas in, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 26, it tells us that uh, in, verse, in verse 15, it says, now at, the feast of the, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing a multitude, to the multitude, a prisoner uh, in whom they wished. And that time there was a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or this Jesus who is the Christ? For he knew that they had hand, handed him over to them because of his, their envy. Meaning they, meaning the religious elite. Verse 19, it says, while, they were sitting on the ju- while he was sitting on the judgment seat, there it is, prophetic. We, we, we need to go, we could really unpack this for, for hours and hours. Sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, husbands, listen up to this. It says, have nothing to do with this just man, for, he, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And then verse 20, here it is. It says, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. What's happening here? I, want, I just want you to imagine your Lord and Savior the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, is standing on a podium like this. And next to him is the epitome of sin, Barabbas. Many believe he was a stealer, a murderer, a thief, a liar, a manipulator. And they have a choice to make. At, before their Passover feast, who do you want? Who do you want for me to to pardon and to release back into society? Who do you want? Who do you want, church? Who fits better? Who would you accept? And the scriptures tell us that the religious elite began to manipulate the crowd under their own wisdom and their own discernment that was faulty and sinful. They began to chant, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And Pontius Pilate's like, what do I do with Jesus? He's done nothing wrong. What should I do with him? And the scriptures tell us, they say, crucify him. Crucify him. Put him on Barabbas' tree. There's the tree again, church. I would move this morning to a couple conclusions that I think are pretty significant. Number one is that the spirit of religion will always scream louder than the spirit of revelation. The spirit of religion says, here's what was, and I'm so bound by what was that I can't see what is, and I can't get past what Jesus is doing, and he's taken my position, and I'm not Lord of my life anymore, and it doesn't look like what it used to look like. And so give us Barabbas. Free the sinner. 
And I wonder how many of us this morning, if we were to have these two paradigms up here, Jesus on this side and Barabbas on this side, how many of us would put ourselves over here with Jesus and we would believe that we're closer to him. The truth of the matter is all of us are over here with Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. Humankind, we're Barabbas. We need Jesus. And Jesus knew it so much so that he put himself in Barabbas's place. God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas, meaning he had to suffer our consequences so that then Barabbas could be treated like Jesus so that we could be sons of God again, so that we could have atonement, so that we could have right relationship with the Father in heaven. And he was willing to substitute his son for you and for me for the glory of God. But we need a spirit of revelation it's time for us to press into his word. And I want to tell you, a lot of time revelation comes in a whisper. I'm Barabbas, and you're Barabbas. Church, hear this. The best and worst of sinners are still sinners. I don't care if you're wearing a suit this morning or, or a dirty t-shirt. God loves you. And his blood applies to your account. The penalty, hear this, the penalty for sin is the same, but so is the substitution. Our default will always be to save ourselves and reject Jesus. And I want you to imagine this as Barabbas. I can imagine, he's like, they are fools. What are they doing? I'm free. As Barabbas is perverting mercy, Jesus is instituting grace. And Jesus took Barabbas' cross. He took our cross. And there is this holy exchange. His life for our death. His robe for our rags. His righteousness for our shame. His freedom for our captivity. His heaven for our hell his forgiveness for our sin. So if we look at Adam and we look at Isaac and we look at Barabbas, you know what Adam is? In the atonement, Adam is the why. Adam is the why. We fell, that's why. Isaac is the how. A perfect, spotless lamb would have to be given in human flesh. And Barabbas is the who. You and me. As Methodists, we believe in universal atonement. Universal atonement. That the blood of Jesus isn't for some, it's for all. If all have fallen short, the blood of Jesus isn't for some. It's for all of us. Now what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? We need an image of the cross. We need an image of the cross. As our worship team comes and we prepare to close, the altar is open. And if there's, not a, if there's ever been a salvation message that we have preached, this is it. Why would you ever deny him the honor of taking your place? You know, this morning my heart was just burdened 
and it may not be the same for the service, but my heart was burdened for prodigal children that had been raised up in the church that have good seed in their hearts, but they have fallen away in rebellion. You know, today's the day where you can, you can water those seeds and pray that they turn and repent and come home in Jesus' name. Today's the day. If you can't pray for yourself, pray for someone else because all of us, we don't have enough fingers and enough toes of people we love that don't know Jesus. And I don't believe that the Lord put Oakland Church of Johnstown here on Bedford Street between Richland and Johnstown, the second poorest city in all the state of Pennsylvania, just to sit here and look pretty and have nice services and great programs. I believe that he called us here to be a bridge between communities. I believe he called us here to be a light, a city on a hill. I believe that he called us here to be an equipper of the saints and the army of God. I believe that he called us here to be image bearers of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what he called us to be. Are we going to accept the assignment? Are we going to walk in the blood of Jesus? Are we going to believe him for the goodness of God in the land of the living? I say yes. I say yes. I say it's time to go. We're wasting time. If we could just stand together, I want to pray for us. The altar is open. And I just want to challenge you, if you need prayer in any way this morning, just come to this altar. There'll be someone here to pray for you. Father in heaven, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, in our minds, and in our spirits, Father Lord. If there's something or, some, or a relationship or an unforgiveness or a trauma, something that's out of alignment, Father Lord, today is the day of reconciliation. Today is the day of atonement. If there's someone under the sound of my voice and you've never received Jesus or you need to uh, rededicate your life to Jesus this morning, today is your day. Today is your day. Don't walk out of here the same as you walked in. The world will be waiting for you. Jesus is waiting for you here right now. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just consecrate this, this moment these moments together, this altar, have your way, glorify yourself in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening to this message from Oakland Church. For more information and for other resources, visit us at oaklandonline.org.